Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. We're going to be rediscussing The Name of the Wind, chapters 74 through 78. And I just wanted to take a moment and wish everyone happy holidays. Hope everyone's doing well. They're staying safe and making the most out of uh, the holiday season. Yeah, we're just entering December. I think we're actually going to be finishing the book up at the beginning of next year. So after that, we'll see where the podcast takes us. But until then, chapter 74, Waystone. So we left Kavoth and Denna exploring the Madlowan farm, and they decided that they needed to find a place to camp for the night. And so they went up the hill, uh, because Kavoth wanted to get kind of like a vantage point. So they get to the top of this hill, and they actually find that it is completely cleared on the top, except for there's waystones on top, which I think is really interesting right off the bat, considering last time we were talking about the fact that maybe the... Barrow that was Madeline Farm was built on may have been like an important place in the past. Especially and, with that theory that Waystones were kind of like a portal or opening to the Fey Realm, so this whole location at one point could have been very important. Yeah, so I think the fact that the Waystones are close by is. I don't know if that's how the Shandrian are also getting around, but I think it's very interesting that it's close by to Waystones every time the Shandrian have appeared so far. I don't really know what the barrow or the fort may have been in the past, but, I mean, it's clearly associated with them, so it's just interesting to note that there's a bunch of waystones. So this is where they decide to make their camp. Kavoth kind of complains about the weather because it looks like it's going to rain, and Dennis says that it actually doesn't last long. It clouds up, rains, and then blows over, which is pretty good um, just for camping, but also later on we notice that Kavoth sees spouts of blue flame off in the distance, and I don't think he'd be able to see that if it were raining. So they just, you know, set about making their camp. It's very cozy and kind of like they have done this before almost. Everyone assumes their roles kind of immediately. Yeah, Kavos starts cooking. He uses the leftover pork from the pig and he gets some carrots and potatoes. And Denna goes off and collects firewood and they make this very adorable little camp. And it's interesting because Denna says, oh, like, this is so nice. I could really get used to this. I wish you had your loot, though. And Kavos says that he actually met a tinker on the road, and uh, even though he didn't bring his loot with him, the tinker tried to sell him some strawberry wine, and Dennis disappointed. Yeah. And if you remember way back at the beginning of the book, Kavos mashes that bottle of strawberry wine when Chronicler mentions the woman, so just more associations with Denna. Alluding um, and foreshadowing. Yeah, so very interesting. Which is actually kind of funny, because when I read that line with Kavos, uh, interacting with the um, Tinker, and he offers a wine and he doesn't take it. Kavoth knows better than to kind of pass off a suggestion from a Tinker. Now, I don't know if he was... He wasn't even necessarily trying to sell him the wine for money. At this point, they were just kind of bartering goods. Yeah, I think Kavoth really needed a shirt, though. Like yeah. He ended up getting things that I think seemed more immediately useful. But there is kind of like a record scratch moment where he declines the wine and the... The Tinker's like, all right, suit yourself. Yeah, it is kind of odd. It's interesting. I don't really know what role Tinkers play. Like, they seem like they have some kind of magical ability or some sort of, like, higher state of knowing things. 
especially because people say not to disagree with a tinker or anger a tinker. Or treat them poorly. Or treat them poorly. And this is a situation where, obviously, Kavoth didn't need the strawberry wine. It wasn't detrimental, but he's so infatuated with Denna that, like, you know he's upset he doesn't have it. Yeah. But their discussion about wine is interrupted because Denna sees a spurt of blue flame or blue light off in the distance. They can't really tell where it is because, obviously, it's dark, so Kavoth just makes a little mark in the ground with two sticks so that in the morning they can follow it. And Dennis pretty sure that it's not the direction of the, the mines nearby, so they're really kind of perplexed as to what this could be. Kavoth does mention that it's... He tries to hint that maybe it's the way that Dennis' patron signals to her, and she says, blue fire's too sinister, which is really interesting because I must have missed this a couple of times. But... Obviously, my leading theory is that Dennis' patron is Cinder, and I thought the way he signaled her was with blue flame, and she says no. To be fair... I mean, obviously she could be lying, but... I thought so, too. There's that whole passage where they're discussing her patron weight, a couple chapters, or last episode, I should say, and he's like, oh, was the fire blue? And I'm pretty sure she was like, how would you know that? Yeah. So I don't know if it's necessarily a written inconsistency. Maybe I'll have to go back and double check it. Listeners, we love your feedback on this too. If you uh, anyone remembers, you know, definitely reach out to us on any of our social media pages. Yeah, I, I just, there's a lot of tiny, tiny clues in these chapters. And I think sometimes the theories that fans have made and that I have made for myself become contradictory. So I just, I want to see what other people think, who they think Dennis Patron is, how they think he signals her, et cetera, et cetera. And interestingly enough, it's not here in this chapter, but in one of the chapters we're discussing today, Dennis slips in the line that it's her business to know about Kavoth. Mm-hmm. And she says it in almost what I think is supposed to be p- played off as a flirty way, but it almost sounds a little bit like she's watching him or spying on him. Like it can be interpreted that it is her job to keep an eye on him, and that's why he can never find her, but she always she finds him. She can always him. find him. Once again, Dennis just shrouded in mystery, and I'm, <laughs> I'm so frustrated with, like, everything about her. I think she's a very compelling character, and I think it's hard because they paint her as always the unattainable, always, like, treasured and sought after and very rarely ever truly gotten. Yeah. But it's hard to really know what's actually motivating her character more than just, like, survival and thriving and, like, developing her life and becoming like a musician yeah she's very complex and i think she's caught in kind of a web of she needs to survive on her own but i also think she's under somebody else's thumb whether that's her patron or someone else is unclear like i don't know if her patron is helping her in her situation or like she's under her patron's control yeah so but many things to think about anyway um they decide that they're going to check out where the light was in the morning and that they need to go to sleep and they decide to sleep in kind of like taking watches taking watches and as they're discussing going to sleep Denna mentions that she doesn't really sleep through the night anyway she has dreams and doesn't elaborate on it but she clearly has like night terrors night terrors or some kind of anxiety situation about her life and then they start talking about the Shandrian at the Madeline farm again trying to piece it out what happened so Kavoth thinks that the Shandrian came because it was whatever Madeline found while he was digging up for stones. Or while he was digging up the stones. 
And Denna immediately disputes that because she's like, if they wanted the item, why would they have to wait until the wedding? Clearly, they had to wait for the wedding because everyone who saw the artifact and knew about it had to be eliminated. And then Kavoth remembers everyone in his troop was eliminated, not just his parents. Anyone who heard the song. Anyone who heard the song was taken out. So this kind of gives him more to think about uh, as Denna decides to go to sleep at that point. There's also a really interesting line a little bit later on in this chapter where Kavolt is kind of speculating different connections with the Shandrian with the um, area that they're about to discover later on, but Denna kind of contradicts Kavolt's theory. She's like, oh, you're grasping at straws. The Shandrian are more to like strike like lightning and immediately and disappear. disappear. Yeah, they wouldn't be coming back to the same place multiple times. Now, I'm wondering if... That's just her speculation based upon, like, stories and lore, or due to the fact that she unknowingly is part of, like, their schemes and knows how they work. If she is part of their schemes, though, like, yes, it would be helpful for her to say that, because... Like, red herring kind of thing? Yeah, it could be a red herring, but it could also be, in this case, if somehow the Denerezin and the Dracus and Madwin Farm are all connected with the Shandrian... And Dennis says, no, I don't think so. It's going to really throw Kavoth off the trail. Mm. Could be interesting. But as Dennis is falling asleep, Kavoth's kind of thinking about the university and his friends and wondering if anyone would even notice he's gone or wonder if they would be concerned about him. And obviously yeah. everyone's going to notice he's gone. Like, he's such a large figure at the university. Also, super he, selfish. He said, I should have probably left a note. He didn't leave anything. He just... Well, to be fair, he left after he got attacked by those people in the alley, so he wasn't even at his own home. That's true. This was a huge... And his intention was to hide out at that dockside bar after he got attacked and then go back to the university. Because remember, he hears the bell ringing and he's like, oh, I have a shift in the Medica. But then he overhears the people talking about the Madeline farm and this sets this entire other trajectory that he goes on. I feel like he was just following the small amount of clues he had, and this is the first time he's been able to sit down and go, oh, I left, no one's seen me in, I guess, it's about two days now? Two or three days. Two or three days. No one knows where I am. I didn't leave a note. I am missing all my classes and my shifts. Like, I'll just deal with those repercussions later, I guess, but whatever. It's funny, for such a smart person, he's very impulsive. He doesn't always think things through. I think he's kind of selfish, Oh, absolutely. I mean, any great person is kind of wired that way, the way Kaboth is. Yeah. Like, any celebrity or, like, very, like, like talented musician, they're very one-track-minded of, like, what they want when they want it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even in an earlier episode, I mentioned that I started reading biographies this year, especially of, like, rock and roll stars, and a lot of them, like, don't put nearly as much effort into their interpersonal relationships as they do into, like, perfecting their craft or their work. And Kavos is very similar, where in this situation, he's not making or creating something, but he has this goal of figuring out the Shandrian, and he's like, well, it doesn't really matter that I didn't tell anyone where I went. Yeah. Like, like if this is more important pursuit. than them, like, it'll, I'll figure that out later. Yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of the end of that little first section of the chapter, until Denna wakes up, because they hear this sound. And Kavos describes it as, like, the sound of a, a roaring lion, but even more. Because you can feel it. Like, it's not even a sound that you hear. It's like a sound that you feel. Like, it's like a rumble that comes up through the ground. Like, into your chest. It, like, shakes you to your core. Yeah, so obviously this is concerning that they're in the middle of nowhere. 
sleeping, and they hear this horrible sound. And then as they start to listen to it more, it sounds like whatever is making this is coming towards them. Yes. So their plan is to get on top of the waystones. Now, I don't remember exactly how high they are, but Kavoth has to hoist Denna up. Yeah, kind of like cheerleader style. She like steps into his hands cupped, and he like yeah, he like tosses her up, her up yeah. and then she has to pull him up. And it's so funny. He describes this moment, and he you know thinks it will be all heroic, and she grabs his hand and pulls him to safety. But she grabs his shirt collar and his hair and just yanks him up onto yeah. the thing, and he's like scrabbling at the rock. Yeah, he's like so crushing it, his like knuckles and fingers against the waistline, trying to scrabble up. Like it's just it's a it's messy. It's not aesthetic. <laughs> So they get up there, you know, as quickly as possible. And Kvothe definitely, like, knocks the wind out of himself by jumping up there. But I think they're up maybe 10 feet in the air. Yeah, it's like 10 it's to 12 really feet. It's pretty tall. high. It's very tall. So once they're on top of the waystone, this creature crawls onto the hill and he describes it like a huge lizard, but not long like a snake. It's you know, short and squat and very thick neck and has, like, a massive, like, flat wedge head shape. Its size is described as a dozen bulls all together. So this thing is enormous. Yeah, absolutely huge. So I'm imagining, like, four to six, like, SUVs, like, stacked two by three or two by yeah, four. Like, it's huge. So good thing they climbed up there. And it's very, like squat in the essence that it's like wide and like arms out to the I, side kind of like um it's you know like, like a bearded dragon over yeah. the komodo those things are crazy yeah. they're really strong oh absolutely so this thing is just a powerhouse yeah there's no way anything can <laughs> stop this and um, so it's kind of just like peeking around the top of the hill and like the fire is the thing that attracted it doesn't it shoot out some blue flame, too? Yes, it does. So now we realize that the blue flame that they were seeing is coming from this lizard creature. And the very last sentence in the chapter was, it was a dragon. Chapter 75, Interlude, Obedience. Now, I really like this part because Kavol's sitting with Chronicler, who has written the book Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Which is the book that dispels the myth that Dracus is our dragons. dragons. And so Kavoth kind of smugly is like looking over at Chronica like, hmm, hmm. It's almost funny because it it's like he's breaking his own fourth wall within the confines of the story. Yes. Like what, you're not going to question that this is a dragon? What's going on? And Chronicler and Bast are like, well, Kavoth, you said not to interrupt you. Yeah, and even Chronicler's like, if you say you saw a dragon, you saw a dragon. Like, I'm just here to report. I'm writing everything down, as you said. And he's like, it's so disappointing. Devin Lockie's the great debunker, and you're just gonna, like, go with what I'm saying? It's funny because I think Kavoth is such a showman at heart that he loves an audience to interact with. Yes. And this audience was, like, too polite (laughs) to contradict him, and he was like, that's... That's no fun. Like, you need to stand up and say, no, it couldn't have been, or, you know, whatever. Some kind of reaction out of them. Yeah. And he gets nothing, so he's like, all right, <laughs> fine, I'll just continue on the story, yeah. I guess. He's like, there are a few things more, there are a few things that are more nauseating than pure obedience. Yeah. And he's like, all right, well, since you're just going to listen and, like, placate to me, we'll continue on. Right. Chapter 76. 
The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Which, as we said, is the book Chronicler wrote. So, Denna's immediately shocked. She's like, it's a dragon, holy crap. And Kvothe being, like, you know, educated and scholarly, it's not a dragon. Dragons don't exist. I know. I feel like this whole, like, few interactions with this in, like, the next two chapters, he's, like, trying to impress her with his wit, and he's coming off as, like, such a nerdy know-it-all. I think he's coming off kind of like a jerk. Yeah, like, he's... Like, not quite mansplaining, but, like, just... No, but she's, like, shocked and scared. This enormous creature just came right through, and it looks like a dragon. And obviously, her reaction is to say, holy shit, it's a dragon. And for someone to say dragons don't exist when you're looking at what what looks exactly like a dragon is not helpful. And that's also not going to solve their situation in any way. Yeah. Like, he's not offering up useful information. You know what, though? It definitely could be just arcanist training in, like, heart of stone mentality of, like, being calm, being logical, and being, like, it's a Dracus. It's a living creature. There are things that it has to behave and operate under to make it what it is. So, therefore, once we understand it, it's not as scary and it's not as threatening because it doesn't have more power than it wouldn't be implied if you were to think of it as a dragon versus, a, like, an actual creature. I mean, he he does get to that. Like, his next few sentences, he says it's an herbivore. It's like a big cow, which is useful information. Yeah. But he's not, like, placating Denna in any way, who's clearly very... And later on, at one point, she's watching the Dracus eat trees, I think, and he's kind of spouting out this useless information about Dracuses. <laughs> and at the end of it, he's like, are you even listening? And she goes, no. Yeah. So I think he is trying to impress her, but once again, Kvothe knows nothing about women and being with Denna for such an extended amount of time that starts to show because usually it's like, you know, they have an evening together or an encounter and he has, he's in his prime because he always has his loot and he's seen as like this grand, uh, not magician, (laughs) (laughs) musician, but here it's like he just showed up unannounced. He's kind of at a loss for what's going on. And stuck with Denna, who has a head injury and is also not being super cooperative in terms of how much information she's giving Kavil. So I think he doesn't really know how to interact or impress her any more than just falling back on what he knows. Yeah. But anyway, so they start to watch this Dracus. And once Kavil says it's like a big cow, Denna's kind of so hysteric that she starts laughing uh, and saying moo, just to, you know, be silly and make herself Oh yeah, it's clearly her defense mechanism (laughs) of like, keep it together, D. mentions that the reason that the Dracus is spouting fire is because that's how it uses, uh, it's like its mating technique, that's how it attracts a mate. So Oh, he wants to top our campfire, (laughs) I love that (laughs) one. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, Dennis worried that he's gonna get down at the campfire, um, or attract a second Dracus, which would be problematic. Which is actually really clever and funny of why this chapter is titled The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Oh. Light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't even put that together. (laughs) Yeah, so they're just watching it at this point. And it's like wriggling around in the fire and, you know, rolling around. And it it reminds me of like when we give our cats catnip and they're just kind of like wiling out and like barrel rolling around the floor. And it's clearly having a great time just like messing around. But then it starts to eat some of the logs, mm-hmm. which is pretty startling. 
It doesn't even <laughs> chew them. It just, like, swallows logs whole. So this thing, despite the fact that it is an herbivore, is insane. Like, it's yeah. it's scary. I feel like you'd be encountering it, a whale that ate, like, boulders. Yeah. Like, most whales eat krill, so it's not scary because the food they eat is tiny. But, like, if you ate found a whale that ate, like... <laughs> enormous things like it would be scary oh yeah absolutely um so they're just watching it go crazy and dennis says that it's surprising she's never heard of something like this whereas kavos explains that they're pretty rare and most people are scared of them so they immediately hunt or try and kill them therefore the dracus is all like hide in the woods yeah i don't think there's very many he said there's probably only a couple hundred left Oh, of that size in the whole world. So, like, this one's clearly very old. It's been alive for a long time. But it's pretty rare, which is kind of cool that they do get to see it then. Yeah. Uh, so the Dracus is, you know, doing its thing on the ground. They're stuck up on the waste stones. It's the middle of the night. They decide that it's just best to go back to sleep. Like, yeah. there's nothing else to do. Kvothe tells Denna that she can go back to sleep. He'll continue watching. And she gives him this, like semi-flirty line that he really knows how to show a girl a good time. Um, and so that's kind of the end of the chapter. They just go to sleep, and Kavoth is very content, you know, to watch over Denna. She's sleeping, make sure she's protected, but he's... Just reminds you of that creepy uh, video of dating losers from the 80s. You just lay there and I'll watch you sleep. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so creepy. <laughs> no, clearly not the intention, but No, I mean funny. he's making sure she doesn't fall off this twelve foot tall rock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting because he's, you know, so pleased to be up there and has no idea how horrible the next day is going to be. It's like this moment of calm. He thinks he's seeing like this rare and magical beast and he gets to impress Denna with his knowledge and then he gets to be her protector in this moment. So it's very romanticized in his mind. But he has no idea what the next day, which for us is the next chapter, is going to bring. Chapter 77, Bluffs. So this part, (laughs) I think we've all experienced a morning like this. Maybe not in the context of being on a 12-foot tall stone arch. And I'm sorry, you haven't woken up on a 12-foot tall stone No, but I just, I just love this. It's like, to me, like the epitome of like a horrible hangover. Where, like, all of, like, yesterday's travel and excitement and, like, everything has, like, had its effect on Kavoth. And he just wakes up, like, as a crumpled heap, like, on top of, like, the stone arch. Yeah, almost to me, I don't know if you ever had, like, big slumber party birthday parties as kids, but did you ever have ones where, like, there were, like, way too many kids? And, of course, you're all giggly and eating candy, so you're up till, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, which is way too late to be up when you're that little. And then... You know, you wake up the next morning and there's, like, popcorn all over the floor and your parents are already like, we're here to get you! And you're like, oh, I'm not ready! (laughs) I am not prepared! And they're just kind of, like, muddling through and there's, like, sleeping bags and kids everywhere and it's just, like, a mess. And you're so tired because you're ten and you got three hours of sleep or whatever, but it's kind of how I picture it. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, hello! It's like... I think for him, or, like, this position, it reminds me of, like, being really sore after, like, a hardcore day of, like, working out or, like, skiing or something, plus, like, a hangover after, like, a late night of drink. You just, like, wake up like, a a crumpled heap. You're just like, ugh. I mean, there's many reasons to wake up in a crumpled heap. If you fall asleep in the car, if you're traveling, if you're camping. um, Yeah. If you worked out hard, yeah. But it's really funny because, um... 
Dad was like, jeez, you look like crap. You look like someone's arthritic grandpa. I mean, <laughs> I can't blame him. He says he rode 60 miles. He's not used to that. And I don't, even like in the spring when you and I get our bicycles out for the first time, the next day, like my legs and my butt are so sore. Yeah. So, and we only ever ride like 10 to 20 miles on our first day of a bike season. So to go immediately like 60 miles on a horse, which is even more intense, like that's got to be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she also makes a... Oh, this is a great joke. So Camille <laughs> it says... It passed you by the first it time. It did. The first two times, I think. <laughs> so he goes, you know how it is. You're always stiffest when you wake up. And she smirked. We women folk don't have that as a problem as a rule. <laughs> and I was, I was like, you know, women are dainty. We never, like, appear disheveled or anything. No, women don't have morning wood. That's <laughs> what she means. Um, but she... She uh, interrupts her own joke, basically, by noticing Kavot's hands, which are, like, bloody from when he jumped up onto the rock. And he's very nervous because, obviously, as... it's interesting here because he says, as a musician, I always worry that something will happen to my hands. And he's always concerned because his work as an artificer has doubled that danger to his hands. It's interesting that he considers himself a musician first and an artificer second. Well, he is a Demaru to He's his He's a Demaru, so it makes sense, but it almost seems like an artificer is, like, a more permanent job in this situation. But secondary importance in his heart. Yeah, it's clearly secondary to, like, his thing. Because I would have been like, oh, I'm an artificer. Like, if my hands get ruined in my artificing work, I can't do my music, too. Yeah. Whereas he's like, I'm a musician. I can't, like, ruin them by doing this other side artificing job. Yeah. So, clearly he's very music-centric, which is no surprise, but... He just double confirms that. So they are looking up from their vantage point on the Greystone down into what was their campsite. And, you know, the grass is crushed or gone or burned. There's deep gullies dug into the earth where the Dracus had, like, rolled around. And it looks really bad. So they get down and try to gather up their items. But they rip both sack as they jump down the Greystone. So he's trying to sew it back up again. Oh, but there's a really cool part that happens here. Mm-hmm. So, Kavolt, uh shows Dena the lodestone. Yeah, I think he unpacks all his stuff so he can sew his bag back together. She oh, starts playing with it. There's a really funny line, though. He's like, you ever seen one of these before? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's trying to impress her. She's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, but I think this whole chapter is full of funny, like, sexually charged, like, innuendos. And just Kavolt's sad attempts to try to impress Dena in ways that I don't think she thinks are impressive yeah so yeah she's like oh yeah i knew someone who used one as a paperweight like he had it because they're super rare and he was so wealthy or whatever that he uses as a paperweight uses as a paperweight which is dumb that'd be like someone using a bar of gold as a paperweight like yeah. it's just extravagant and stupid so they start going through the wreckage with the lodestone just to see what's going on and they actually find a scale of the dracus yeah this part's so cool because the scale itself is magnetic so Dana finds it with the loading stone. Oh yeah. no, she finds it and then Kavot tells her it's got iron in it, so she plays with it with the loading stone. Yeah, which is really cool because it's like organic iron, which is very rare. Well, he's saying that like the rocks around here are full of iron, and Dana mentions that she thought she had gathered up more rocks, and Kavot said the Dracus probably ate a bunch of them, the same way that chickens eat rocks. The gizzard. The gizzard, yes. The gizzard stones. Um, so it's basically digesting iron into its body, and then it, the iron gets deposited in its scales, and then it just continues to eat more and more iron, and its scales are, like, full of iron now. 
So not only do they have the Loden Stone, which is valuable, they have the Strachus Scale, which I think is also pretty valuable. Yeah. Um, and it's big. They said it's about palm size and, like, as thick as a palm, which is, I don't know, maybe an inch thick. So it's hefty. Like, this Strachus has got some armor, basically, on it from eating all that iron. So now they're speculating. They're like, oh, I wonder if it was a Dracus that was responsible for the Malden farm. The wreckage didn't look the same, right? No, that and, like, you know, the well pump was all rusted. Oh, yeah, and there's those other symptoms. Or yeah. Or whatever, signs of the Chandrian. It just, like, doesn't add up. I am intrigued because we did watch that little clip, and I posted it on our Facebook page, where Patrick Vothfuss says that, like, every scene he writes should serve at least three purposes for the story. Yeah. So I, I'm confused because this whole plot with the Dracus is interesting and fascinating, but it doesn't really seem to go with the rest of the Chandrian story that's happening right now. So I don't really know. I think it serves the plot in a different way. But I'm wondering if there's going to be connections that are made much later on, like maybe in the third book that we don't know about yet. Well, that's fair, because things have a habit of reoccurring later. Yeah, like much later. Either confrontations with individual characters or incidences that occur that wind up later. I'm wondering, and it it doesn't seem like this is Patrick Rothfuss's writing style, but I'm wondering if, like, eventually when Kvothe gets his final showdown with the Shandarine, if there will be, like, a big expose of, like, the Shandarine explaining... A monologue. Like a monologue, yeah, like a big, like, explanation of how things connected. But he does even wonder if, like, the Shandarine control the Dracus or something. And, and I don't know, it just seems like this whole adventure with the Dracus and then going to the Denner resin, like, area in the forest doesn't have, like, a long-term importance. Whereas almost all the other scenes in the book end up being important later on. It does and it doesn't because the fire at Trayvon does result in Kavoth speaking with the girl. That's true. But I feel like... That could have happened without this. Like, the plot yeah. could have been written in a way where they don't have to have this entire side adventure yeah. with Adrakis, and Denna doesn't need to get poisoned, and I don't know. I think it just applies to part of like, the I think building, it's a, a, the accidental building of Kvothe's reputation. That's true. I also just, I'm hoping that the Dracus comes back later. Like, it seems cool. We have Denna and Kvothe kind of walking through the woods. They're trying to head in the direction they saw the blue flame last night, correct? Right. And they do see, like, wreckage in the forest. From where the Dracus had been kind of running around? Yeah. So they're they're following through. They get to an area that's almost like a clearing, but it's... Um, I think it's like cleared because the Dracus has destroyed so much of the area. And there's all these trees that have been tipped over. So they're picking their way through, and Kvothe says that it's good that, you know, her patron's not there, but then they smell something, and they find a little log cabin in this area against a cliff, and as they go over there, there's this horrible smell, and Dennis starting to be nervous at this point. She's like, I don't, I don't feel like this seems safe. Like, you keep saying the Drax is harmless, but, like, look at all of this destruction, this is crazy. Even if it's just looking for, like, trees or whatever, like, it's so strong that we could be secondary, like, byproducts of its actions, and, like, it could really hurt us. So, like, she wants to get out of there. She, then she's wondering if, like, the Shandrian did this maybe instead of the Dracus, because the destruction seems so big. But she also kind of answers her own question and says, this is where she says, 
they strike like lightning and disappear. So she's yeah. like, maybe they did this, like, because you keep saying the Drax is harmless, but if the Chandrian did this, it doesn't really match the same pattern. But Kvothe seems to think that they're related. And then they find the source of the smell, and it's a, a dead man who's been dead for about two span. I think that's... 22 days? Oh, spans 11 days. I think so. So, like, three weeks. So he should like, not be, be smelling good. And in his uh, possession is a crossbow. They're kind of confused as to why he would have a crossbow. The one he has is not, like, a hunting bow. It's, like, a super intense... I guess it would be, like, the equivalent of, like, military-grade weaponry. Both says it would be able to pierce through armor from across the field, and they're actually illegal. So this isn't something that's... A regular person would have, especially not someone way out in the woods who appears to be just like a, a logger or a hermit or a woodsman. Yeah, which is also like kind of impressive. Like it's a formidable piece of technology within this world. Yeah, this is the first time that, other than like, the idea of using sympathy or more medieval style weaponry, we hear something that really has the capability to cause a lot of damage. I don't think we've really heard too much about weapons. Like we know that the Guy who was working for Lauren, who collects the books. The Giller, yeah, he had like a short sword. He had a sword, sword but yeah. that's really all we see. There's the there's the people who were sent after Kavoth with the... Knives, but... What were they using to find him, though? Um, oh, a dowsing compass. A dowsing compass, yeah, which can be used for many things. But yeah, this is the first, like, intense weapon we've heard of. Yeah, so it's interesting to finally kind of get a glimpse into what's possible in this world as far as, like weapons and whatnot. Yeah, so they're kind of pondering why he might have this, and Denna poses the idea that the Dracus could be rabid, which is actually really scary. But it does kind of explain why it has been acting the weird way it has, mm. which is according to Kvothe, out of the ordinary. Kvothe wants to bury the guy. Denna wants to get the hell out yeah, of there. Yeah, she wants nothing to do with it, which I don't blame her. Like, it seems weird, honestly. Like, she did not sign up for this Dracus adventure. She wanted to find her patron, potentially, and then They're leave. getting, like, off track. They're getting really off track. And, yeah, I would probably investigate the area, but I don't think I would be as interested as Kavoth is in trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, forever the scholar. <laughs> I think he also is just, like, really... As Dennis says, I think you want it to be connected. He wants the Shandrian and the Dracus and this place to all be connected somehow. Yeah. And it appears that they aren't. So as they're kind of debating what to do, they start hearing that like creaking and roaring sound of the Dracus. So, so like, they oh, decide shit. that they need to get out of there. Kvothe says that it can't climb up the cliffs that they got to to get there, so that they should be okay if they can get to those cliffs. So they're making their way over there and they find a patch of dirt where the dragons had been, like, digging. So they're still not really sure, like, what it's doing, but it does have these really weird behaviors. And as they're looking at that, they find a crack in the cliff, and they can wedge their way down the crack. Yeah, it's like a crevice tunnel kind of deal. Yeah, and the inside of it's all sooty, so the Dracus has been, like, breathing fire down the crack. So yeah. they can't stay there, because if it breathes fire down there, they're toast. So they, but it's also weird. It's like, why is it trying to get into this little crevice? Yeah, there's no nothing in there that would normally attract a dracus. Like, what's the point? So they follow the crevasse down um, and go up a ladder that they find at the end of it. 
And at the ladder, at the top of the ladder, they find kind of like a lookout point with a yeah, little it's box. Like a, like a hut? Well, there's a lookout point, and then you can keep going, and then there's a hut. Okay. So there's like a lookout area where they can see everything in the area. And from there, they can see the Dracus. They actually see that it's like at the opening to the crack that they just climbed through, and like it's breathing fire down that crack. So good thing they got out of there. Yeah, because it would have been toast. And they can see the whole valley... There's also a little box that has a blanket, a water skin, some dried meat, and the crossbow bolts to go with that crossbow. And the Dracus, from where they're standing, starts making its way away from them. And Dennis says maybe it is sick. Like, it starts moving really slowly and kind of lethargically. It starts pushing trees over. And, like, it's literally pushing over trees that are 30 feet tall with no issue. So this thing is strong. So even, like Dennis said, like, maybe it's not attacking people, but if, like, it pushed a tree over and they got hit, like, that would be a huge problem. Yeah. They'd um, be dead. <laughs> so, yeah, they're just kind of watching it. I think this is where Kavoth starts. Kavoth starts, like, explaining to Denna about the Dracus and theorizing how it makes flames or whatever, and she's not paying attention to Oh, yeah, to she was like, she's like, it eats wood, it mm-hmm. makes sense it would breathe fire, like, yeah, whatever. whatever. But she's, like, pretty transfixed on this. It's actually interesting because Kavos, you know, chattering away and Den is observing and she's actually the more observant one in this situation and notices that there's a bunch of trees planted in rows, which is obviously super weird for the middle of a forest. forest. Why would someone plant trees in rows? And it's not an orchard. Kavos can't see what kind of trees are in the rows because those are the ones that the, the Dracus is eating. eating. So he's like, I don't know, maybe they're maple trees, like maybe it has a sweet tooth. At that point, while the Dracus is distracted, decide to um, follow the path out of there. And they're hoping that that will be just a way to leave. But it actually leads to a little canyon with walls on every side. So I think it's a dead end. And within that canyon are... It's completely clear of plants and there's all these pans. Um, So they're looking around and Denna thinks, oh, it is, you know, it did have a sweet tooth. They're making maple syrup here. That's what all these pans are for. But... You know, they're kind of poking around, and Kavos still doesn't think that feels right. Like, in the back of his head, he's like, yeah, this is weird. that's weird. There's tons of maple trees around. Why would you just plant more maple trees? And his thinking is interrupted by the fact that Denna then starts to eat some of the resin or the residue in these pans, which she thinks is burnt maple syrup. And all of a sudden, it clicks in Kavos' mind. It is not maple syrup. <laughs> it is Denner resin, which is... Ophalum. Ophalum, it's... Or Ophalum. He says it's poison. It's a... I don't know if it's poison or a It's a, a very drug, powerful, like, like... I don't know the difference. Yeah, it's an anesthetic. It's basically... I don't know, like, how to describe it. In my I, mind, I imagine almost like like a narcotic, like, morphine or Oxycontin, but, like, as, like, a sticky, tacky, like, taffy. Yeah, I think it's, like, taffy, but he says it's poison and he's worried she'll... Overdose. Overdose, essentially, yeah. But it's the same, if we remember way, way back in Tarbian, Kvothe mentions that there was a girl who got addicted to it and, like, took off all her clothes in the middle of winter and was dancing in the snow. Like, it makes people very... Oh, it destroys people's lives. It, yeah, it's horrible. Like, it's it's a really bad drug. Um, so he panics and, like, smacks it out of her hand and, and is like, like, spit, spit it out! <laughs> And tells her to eat a bunch of charcoal, which, I mean, does filter things. So she's yeah, that was smart. chewing up charcoal and, and like chugging, water. chugging water and trying to get it all out of her system. Like, anything she got in, she's trying to get out. She's, like, freaking out. He's like, 
It's funny because it's clearly like a hindsight moment. He's like, how did I not piece it all together? Like, oh shit. I imagine they were only down there for like two minutes though. Yeah. And like still just trying to collect up, get your bearings of like what's going on. And he's beating himself up for not seeing it sooner, but you know, doing the best he can. And like, thankfully he has medical training. Yes. So he knows how to help Denna in the situation. They get most of it out. Some of it's still like stuck in her teeth and she's like scraping at her mouth to get it all out. But she gets all of the residue out of her mouth. Um, She doesn't really know how much she ate, but Kavoth is a little bit worried about her because the side effects are like euphoria and then mania. And then I, something else. Yeah. But I do like this part because despite all, like, the ser- scariness and, like, things that are happening, Dana makes an interesting observation. She's like, your eyes really do change color. She's like, normally they're bright green with a ring of gold. She's like, but when you broke the pump handle at the Madhuman farm, they went, like, a dull, muddy green. And when the swineherd made that comment about the Adimaru, they went dark for a moment. And now, during all this... Uh, they're dark green, right? Because he's angry or scared? She's like, it was like a frosty green, like that he was, because he was scared. Oh, interesting. And so he was like, I'm surprised you noticed, and that's where she delivers the line. Yeah. Oh, well, it's my job to notice these things about you. See, which I think he takes as like a flirty thing. Like, yeah. oh, it's my job to know things about you, but I think it's slightly more sinister, and she is, I mean, I don't think she's really feeling the effects of the dinner resin yet, but she is in a bit of shock, which can affect, like, your mental state, and if she that's a secret she was meaning to keep, it may have slipped out in that moment. Yeah. I'm intrigued to note who notices Kavoth's eyes and who doesn't. Like, I think so far it's just Denna and Fela. Yeah. Does anyone else notice it so far? I think maybe Simon at one point does, but I'm not positive. I wonder if there's any kind of pattern to the people who notice it and yeah. don't. Um, but it's interesting, because Denna says, like, oh, you're really good at, like, trying to maintain a poker face and even keep, like, your expressions under control, but your eyes are what give you away. But she can also tell when he's lying to her. Yeah. Like, she called him out on lying to her several times throughout even just this, like, adventure since they met up in Trayvon. That just now where he's like, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, he's trying to mollify her. not every her, day, like, you know, yeah. you got a pretty girl this close. She's like, stop. Like, I can tell you're scared. Like, am I going to die? Like, what's up? Yeah, give it to me straight. Like, don't don't sugarcoat it. And I think it's just her and Debbie who really see through his lies, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So it's just three powerful women. Yes, yes. Notice things. But yeah, Kavos pretty nervous about Denna, and I think he wants to, at that point, get her out of there. Yes. Because he's worried that she will get to a state of reacting to the Denner as in that he'll have to carry her. Yeah. And he doesn't think he can carry her. I, I don't know how far away they are from Trayvon, but it seems like they're probably... a solid, I don't know, like, 12 hilltop, and then they walked, like, all day to get here. Yeah, so I'd say they're probably, like, 12 miles out. I think even, I don't know. They're pretty far. Like, he can't carry her either way. Yeah, so while they're looking around, um, they see the crossbow bolts, and Kavoth decides to take that and the food because they're gonna need it since they're out of supplies. Yeah, he was a little bit worried earlier about, like, taking things from the dead, but once he realized this guy was, like, manufacturing illegal drugs, he felt less bad about it. He's like, all right, I'll just uh, take these things and um, help myself. He was also a little worried that the guy was crazy. Yeah. And that's why he was, like, guarding a little cabin with a crossbow and, like, 
it was just weird. That's why he didn't want to eat the food. But once he no. realized that, you know... He's just a drug lord. <laughs> he's just doing illegal things in the woods. I'll, I'll eat his food. Yeah. So he takes his stuff. And so that's when they discover more of the uh, dinner resin. Oh, yeah, like a big, big pile. Barrel, right, yeah. yeah. And so Kavolta's like, oh, you know, I'm in debt to a powerful person. We could definitely take this and make a lot of money. And Denna has this moment of consciousness where she's like, Kavolta, I've seen like girls get hooked on this. Like, and I, think Kavoth, I need money, but at what cost? Kavolta brings up that girl he saw in Trayvon at this point, just like remembering how bad of a drug it is. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? We wouldn't sell it on the streets. Like, I'll take a lower price. To get it made as a powerful... sell it to, like, people who make medicine. Like, yeah, apothecaries as, like, a painkiller. Yeah. He's like, it's, you know, it's a half a loaf, but... And she's like, honestly, like, I'd love half a loaf, like... It's way more honorable. And I'm glad that both of them, despite the fact that they always have money problems, and even Dennis seems to do kind of, like, Maybe not disrespectful, but not like, you know, she doesn't get her money in respectful ways, necessarily. There's a limit, though, for both of them. That That's what I mean. There's, like, an ethical and morality line that they're not willing to cross. Well, I think for Denna, like, especially because she gets her a lot of her money through, like, gifts from suitors and stuff, like, that only hurts her, despite the fact that, like, they could make a lot of money selling this to, like, drug distributors. Yeah. But they're going to do it more honorably and give it to apothecaries. Right. So as they're collecting and scraping all the dinner resin together, she starts to have the resin starting to kick in. Like, her cheeks are flushed. She starts smiling. She's kind of getting that euphoria. She's feeling, like, really good. And so Kavoth is like, look, like, that's just, like, the euphoria. There's going to be other symptoms. Let me know if your chest ever starts feeling heavy or you have trouble breathing, because that's, like... <laughs> Sounds like COVID. <laughs> yeah. I know. Seriously, geez. That's the oh shit moment, and we want to avoid the oh shit moment, Denna. Yep. They're looking around, and they're realizing, well, that's why the Dracus, like, was desperately trying to come in this crevice and breathing fire down it. It's been eating dinner resin trees and smelling the resin. Like, this thing is going to be going crazy, and... They look back and they're like, oh, there's only like two, maybe three trees left. Like, what's going to happen when it runs out? Like, they've seen knackers and like people addicted to dinner resin when they got the hunger on them and they are out of like their fix. Like, they become very dangerous. Yeah. And I mean, this thing's already dangerous searching for trees and it hasn't even hit that point yet. Yeah. And like, what's it going to do when it runs out of trees? It's going to go looking for it. And whereas the last time it found resin was in places that smelled of people. So it'll probably make its way to Trevon looking for more dinner resin. Yeah, and they realize that, like, they don't... I mean, they're not responsible for this situation, but they would also feel horrible if, like, they knew about it and this like, drag has destroyed anyone. an innocent family's house and farm. Yeah, or whole village. Or Yeah, or whole village, which... I mean, so Kavolt is like, we <laughs> gotta kill it. Doing. And Dead is kind of like, you're joking, right? Like, what can we possibly do? Well, like I said earlier... The scales on that thing, he says, are, like, palm palm size and also the thickness of a palm. So, like I said, that's, like, an inch thick of iron, essentially, covering this animal. So, what are you possibly going to do? There's nothing yeah. you could do. And even Kavoth starts considering using malfeasance against it. But he realizes, like, he couldn't even be strong enough. Like, he would just be sitting there with a, a wax version of the Dracus using the scale as the sympathetic link. And, you know poking at this, the wax doll, hoping, you know, something would happen. It'd be like trying happen. to attack a thunderstorm, he says. Like, it won't do us any good. 
the chapter ends with a ominous moment of them trying to figure things out and the Dracus roaring in the distance. What I think is kind of interesting about the end of this chapter, and it might just be a throwaway statement, but Den is jokingly like, oh, I can buy a pony with all the money that I've gotten. And Kvothe offers that, like, the first thing you should buy her is um, a half harp so that she can continue to study music, which is actually very kind of him. But then Den is like, yeah, we'll get you. And she realizes she doesn't know what Kvothe would want. And then they're interrupted by the Dracus. And I'm really interested in that situation, what Kvothe would say. Like, would he just be like, oh, I need some clothes and to pay off my debt with Debbie? Or, like, is there something that he could actually, like, really, really use? I think that's the thing. Like, materialistically, there's not many things he really wants or needs. He wants, I guess, grander things like wisdom, fame, fortune. It's also interesting, though, that, like, he's like, oh, Jenna, this this thing we should get you is, like, going to help continue further your music and will help you get on your own two feet. Like, with your patron, you can study music better. And she doesn't know what he would want. Yeah. She doesn't have any guess as to, like, what would be He's so guarded. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, they're supposed to be super close to each other, but she doesn't even know. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. But yes, as you said, the Dracus is here. Chapter 78, Poison. So, yeah, the, the roar of the Dracus is super loud, as we mentioned before, and the roar that the Dracus does in this moment is, like, so startling that they jump <laughs> to the point where Denna jumps up and like smacks her head into Gavos' chin and like his teeth like jar into oh. each other which oh horrible a mighty clunk so they are startled they see the Dracus um they run up to look at they see the Dracus you know cavorting and running around and knocking over trees and freaking out so like it's getting to the point where this thing's about to be Whoa. It's like, absolutely out of control. I think it's because it ate some of the last of the trees that are left, so, like, Denna, it's experiencing Oh, is this his last little bit of mania? Yeah, like, euphoria, <laughs> and it's, like, cavorting in the woods, and just, like... Oh, having running fun. Running amok, yeah. Oh, okay, so this is not even, like, nearly as bad as it could be once it starts to, like, realize it has no more fix. Yeah, like, this is, like, the last high ride, <laughs> like... And even still, so, like, this thing is, you know, having the time of its life... <laughs> But it's, like, shattering trees and branches like nothing. And at this point, Kvothe Even... notices that, like, the tree is, like, jagged and splintery. And the Dracus um, lays down on one of the, like, sharp branches. And it, it just doesn't impale it, it. It just crumples this branch. And he's like, there's <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be able to hurt it. Like, nothing I could do would be heavier than its own weight. Yeah. And even though Denna's really high, she makes a very... I guess, important observation of, like, a, a possible method of killing the Dracus. She's like, you know, since there's nothing, there's no force we could generate to kill it, the only way it could probably die is if it falls off a cliff. It's actually pretty smart. Because although... she was saying, like, bigger things that fall, like, fall harder. Yeah. Like, she mentions, like, if you flick an ant off a table, it's fine. But if you, you know, a person falls... Off a, roof. off a roof, they're not fine. So something as big as the Dracus, if it falls, its own weight would be, like, super heavy. And it doesn't get any bigger or heavier than a Dracus, so... Mm-hmm. They can get it to fall off from a high enough height that could be the, the way to kill it. And then they'll push rocks down the cliff at it, which is... Yeah. It's a really sad... I, yeah, I get sad about this point because the Dracus is supposed to be, like, this rare and beautiful animal, but obviously this one is a danger to itself and to other people and other animals at this point, so they 
probably do need to kill it. I'm just sad that it's like, you know, you do have to. The old yeller moment. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me cry. <laughs> so sad. So they decide that they're going to try Denna's idea, even though Kvothe complains it's not very heroic, but they don't have any other ideas. So they decide that they're going to lure it off the cliff by, like, hanging, um... Fire. Fire. And so they need some rope, but they can't find any. Also, classic Kvothe, he's like, it's not very heroic. Like, dude, beggars can't be choosers. Like, what do you think you're really going to do against this thing? I know. I think I agree with him, because it is... Like, such a beautiful beast. Like, I'm sad it has to die. So I understand why he's like, oh, it's not very heroic. And I also am sad that, like, if you have to push it over a cliff and then continue to push rocks down on it, like, it it's would a be messy, a slow and painful, like, bludgeoning death, which is... No one deserves that. I don't that. know. That turns my stomach. Like, I I don't care for that. Like, if you're going to kill it, like, make it swift. But obviously, that's out of a realm of possibility for them. Yeah. So... Oh, this is where Kvothe really starts to think about, like, using malfeasance. Sorry, I messed up. I thought it was in the last chapter. That's okay. I mean, it's all so closely knit together. Yeah, so they're, they can't find any rope. The only thing he can find was some twine. And he realizes that, obviously, that's not going to be good enough. So he's like, maybe if I used the scale as a sympathetic link, like, I could do something. And he he's worried, though, because... Even if he does do that, he wouldn't know if it works. Like, yeah. the Jax could be miles away, and he would hope it would be dead, but maybe it's not, or, like... Could he really even penetrate through all the scales? Like, there's too many variables. Yeah, so then, all of a sudden, he realizes, because Denna's eaten this Denna resin, the Dracus has been eating the Denna resin, he kind of puts one and two together, he's like, the only thing we have we can use against it is the Denner resin itself. Like, we have to give it enough where it overdoses and it poisons it, and it dies. Yeah. Then it's kind of sad, because she wanted to sell the Denner resin, obviously. And Kvothe did want the money, too. But she has a cool moment. She's like, we have to do this. Like, as great as it would be, like... He also says that they can sell the Dracus's body or its scales and make some money that way, too. So hopefully that'll be better. She says it's fun to just get to be heroes and kill the dragon. Like, if we get treasure out of it, like, that's just a bonus. Yeah. Which is kind of noble of her. A humble, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very respectful statement. Especially because she is (laughs) drugged right now, so she could just be completely uncooperative. Denna wants to just wait where they are, because she's hoping the uh, Dracus will come back. But then they look around and realize it's actually eaten all of the trees. So there's no reason for it to come back, and it won't be able to be lured into any kind of trap they make. So they gotta leave. So they gotta leave. And Kvothe really wants to get this all done by the end of the day because he wants to be back in Trayvon in case Dennett has, like, you know, a medical emergency. And she's like, oh, I'm, I feel fine. And he actually flicks her ear. Really hard. Really hard. And my sisters and I used to do this to each other to, like, irritate each other. Like, if you flick someone's ear, it oh, really and, hurts. Yeah, it's a sensitive area. And she says, ow, but then realizes it didn't actually hurt. Yeah. So she's got, like, um... Very... She's numb. She's, she's completely numb, yeah. So Kvothe is nervous because she has, is exhibiting these symptoms and needs to get her closer to Trayvon by the end of the day. And he's very noble and says, I don't gamble with the lives of people I care for. And she... She's funny because I can't tell if she's just trying to make light of the situation and make herself not as scared or if she's actually starting to feel... The effects of the drug, but she just goes, I like your manly bravado. Do it some more. Uh, yeah, just kind of like fluffing them up. Yeah. And that's actually the end 
of our episode today. So it's a little bit shorter than the past two that we've had, but we want to talk about the whole build up, build up to the Dracus uh, in this set of chapters, and then next set of chapters we can talk about the whole confrontation and the attack. So that should be good. And then after that, we're really coming to the end of the book. I think we're going to have a couple of guests. A couple speakers. guests. One uh, is our friend who told us about the book, so that would be cool to have him on. And then one is Sam's twin brother Elliot, who just finished reading the book for the very first time. So he's got a whole fresh set of eyes on it. He has not read the second book, um, and I think we're going to do a special episode at the very end of The Name of the Wind with Sam's twin Elliot to get his perspective on things too. But until then, happy reading. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fantasticbookspod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.